This podcast is presented to you by the Young Adults Ministry of Faith Chapel San Diego. To find out more, please visit faithchapelsd.com. Last week, I had on my heart, we were, we were talking about just what's the, what's the response? What's the response to this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that we find ourselves in? And, and just in the last short while, I had um, really started to shift my mindset from preparation mode to not just preparation mode, but beginning to really, really understand this is what God's calling me to do. And I want to be ready. I want to be ready to not just prepare myself, but prepare my spirit man for what the Lord may be saying during this unprecedented moment. And so that's really what I want to talk to you guys tonight. I want to talk to you about this unprecedented moment. And I'm going to pull from some scripture concerning that uh, out of the book of Ezra. So if you want to tag along with me. The notes are also on the Faith Chapel app. In fact, everything's loaded on the Faith Chapel app. So if you haven't got that bad boy, you're definitely going to want to make sure that you do that. Get that app going and we'll be all set. And then we should have the uh, the notes on the screen there for you and we'll also try to put them on the screen here and uh, we can get that going. That would be fantastic. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We believe you're amazing, God. You are beautiful. You're, you're powerful and, and near to us in remarkable ways. And I just thank you, King Jesus, for your, for your goodness, touching our lives in a powerful and unique way. And I'm honoring you, Jesus, tonight. I thank you for the the speaking of your word, that you would just do great things and your glory would rest upon us in a beautiful way. Help us to hear your heart in your name. Amen. There was a time in Israel's history when they were in an unprecedented and difficult situation. The nation was in exile, and they were scattered throughout the known world at the time. And then what happened was God stirred the spirit of Cyrus, who was the king of Persia at the time, and it was in his first year reigning over Babylon, who, when he then issued a proclamation for all of the willing Jews to begin to return to Jerusalem and rebuild their temple and rebuild their city which had been destroyed. So this first wave returns back to the city and they began rebuilding the temple and this was under a man named Zerubbabel's leadership. And then about 60 years goes by. So we're talking six decades goes by during this time. And all of a sudden there's another group of exiles that begins to return to Jerusalem under a man named Ezra's leadership. And he's who we're going to talk a little bit about tonight. Ezra was a devout priest and a scribe, and he took upon himself this great mandate to provoke the nation into a spiritual renewal. So the moment like I want, what I want you to do is I want you to see this, this moment of what's been going on. Like you've been in exile. Your whole life is different, which I think we can relate to a little bit around here. Like our life, it's not like we got kicked from our homes. In fact, we're actually put in our homes, like go to your homes, you know? So they got removed from their homes and they're all over the place and they're living in new places, trying to figure out who knows what it is. Maybe it's new climate, new jobs, new places to live. How are you going to provide for your family? All these crazy things. And this has been going on for years and years and years and years. In fact, it's their new normal. Their new normal is a strange setting. So 
When word gets to Ezra that they're going to come back, their situation is about to change. And let me tell you what Ezra does, and we're going to dig into this scripture. The, one of the first things that Ezra does is he goes and he seeks God. It says this in Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. It says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. There may be a way to get things done, but it might not be the right way. I don't know about you, but I do things the wrong way. Jacob can tell you about how I do things the wrong way. Whenever I have to fix something, I, I usually don't have the right tool to get it done, but I'll makeshift it, won't I? Oh yeah, I'll get ghetto and like get all kinds of like, you know, duct tape and this, and I'll tie it onto a screwdriver and, you know, I can't get this out of the ceiling, so I'll put a, a stapler attached to a stick and, you know, I'll figure it out, you know, but there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do things. So I love that instead of them getting the word and them saying, okay, here's the fastest, easiest route to go back to Jerusalem. Let's get going so we can make this happen. Instead, what they do is they seek God to try to get direction on what's the right way to do this. So God answers their prayers and honors their fasting because they're trying to get his directive. They're trying to get God's wisdom. They're trying to get God's way. They're trying to get God's insight. See, I believe when you invite God into the situation, he remains with you. God does not abandon you. He's constantly looking to be invited into our situations, whether they're dire and intense situations like some of us find ourselves in. I've been talking to so many different people who have recently lost their job, and now they're trying to figure out what to do. And the ones who are going to God and seeking him and saying, God, I need your direction again. Because up until a few weeks ago, my life seemed pretty solid and things were going the right direction and I felt like I had a good grasp on reality. And then all of a sudden, it was like everything flipped and the world was sent into a tailspin and I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. But when you seek God during these times and you get his directive, he begins to deposit a peace and an understanding and a nearness in your life that's more than money could buy. Verse 31 of chapter 8 says, Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush all along the road. They were protected because they sought God on what to do. Not to just do whatever made sense to them in the moment, but to get God's guidance, his wisdom, and his instruction. You know, a funny thing happened it wasn't a funny scenario, but within the church, it was unique. Can you remember back to 9-11? Can you remember back to what was going on in your world during that time? I remember I was riding the bus to school when I first heard it coming on the radio because they didn't normally have the radio on in the bus, and all of a sudden the radio was on, so we were listening. And I remember riding the bus, looking out the window, trying to get the context of what was happening, and details were sketchy. And all of us were just kind of in this shock and awe moment. And within the church, I remember being heavily involved in my church at the time, and it was very interesting to say the least. As some people predicted, the influx of church attenders was short-lived. People flocked to the churches for an amount of time. Why? It's my personal opinion that the majority of people flocking to the churches weren't just looking for comfort in time of turmoil. I believe they were looking for answers. I believe their hearts were open for an encounter with God. 
I believe they were willing to hear what the church had to say, and ultimately they were at best looking to the people who supposedly knew how to hear from God because I believe they were really curious about what God had to say during a time like that. Sadly, most of the churches, a vast majority in fact, was not prepared for this moment. We had no infrastructure in place for the amount of people that were freshly seeking God. People came seeking answers and we carried on with business as usual, just with more bodies in the building. Many continued to entertain and attempt to even assimilate these people within the church community with little thought of helping introduce them to a God who is very much alive and can actually handle their tough questions. On many accounts, we have been notoriously great at introducing people to us and famously terrible at introducing people to Jesus. And I confess that we were not prepared. I was not prepared. We were excited to have our churches filled, but as the people flooded in, they just as quickly leaked right back out. And I believe what a majority of a hurting America was looking for was not provided. Ultimately, things within a short amount of time went right back to the way they were. I believe an opportunity was forfeited. You see, in moments of great crisis, like the one that we currently find ourselves in, there was also great opportunity. Great opportunity. The busy schedule is put on pause. The crowded mind is no longer suffocated. And the thought of eternity, which sometimes is in the back of our mind, all of a sudden takes center stage. You see, we don't often see these moments coming, but it doesn't take a genius to recognize it when it's knocking at your front door. I don't know about you, but I don't think any of us saw what was coming in 9-11, but we saw the moment when we were in it. And I don't think even, even though this has been going on for quite some time, a few months worldwide, but here in San Diego, I don't know if we saw it coming like this. But now that we're in the moment, I believe we can kind of see what's happening. And when you're in these unique and unprecedented moments, when you have eyes to see it and how to capitalize on that situation, it could literally change the trajectory of your existence. What I want to do is I want to introduce you guys to someone very dear to me. This is my sister, Shoshana. She is absolutely amazing. Would you come on up here? She's, she's phenomenal. Six foot hug, six foot hug. And uh, she's amazing. And, and she has an incredibly uh, unique story of exactly what we're talking about, about your life was going in one direction, and then there was an unprecedented moment that happened that sort of changed some things. Why don't you tell us briefly what was going on? Should be good. <laughs> so I was living my life how I wanted to live it, and God abruptly stopped it, and I found myself uh, in federal prison for three and a half months. Um, and while I was in that time, I had the opportunity to either do prison life and hang out and watch movies and, you know, meet people and just spend my time doing nothing, or I could take a real hard look at where I was in my life and decide where I wanted to go. And I did the latter, and every, from the moment I got there, I dedicated myself to finding out more about God. Um, I had grown up in the church, but I really wanted to dive in deeper and to read the scriptures, and, and that's all we had in there. And so digging into it and spending every waking moment literally with him was the best time of my entire life. And when I tell people, when they ask me about my story, I 
would love to go back to that place because it was the closest I ever got to God. I would wake up at three in the morning and just spend time in the word. I would, I would wake up in the, in, in the morning and spend time. Throughout the day, I would spend time. I would do studies. And, and you remember I used to, I, I had pages and pages I would send you <laughs> with ideas. It took and forever to read them. I was like, good Lord. Scriptures and ideas. And I got out and I was like, did you read all the stuff I sent you? He's like, I haven't even opened it yet because it was just piles of stuff. I have a nod in my thumb from how much I used to write. Um, but I, I just poured myself into it and, and God used that and people around me saw that. And in the situations we were in, there were other girls that no one in that entire area or cell was, there was 20 of us, um, had even an inkling of who God was. And by the time I left, 17 of us every single night were in my area having Bible studies and worshiping God. And so many girls got saved, wow. delivered. There was a witch in there and just so many cool stories. But what it ended up is when I got out, I wanted to use what God had shown me and, and introduce people, not to me, but to Jesus, because yeah, it was an, the most amazing and close closest experience I've ever had with him. And so going through things now in my life, and I get dis if I get distracted on stuff, I have that experience to know what I need to do in order to get close to him again. So I can get rid of distractions, get on my knees and spend time in the word. And that's where I, I get to that place where I'm focused on him and he gives me more ideas and I get to go out and use it to bless people. And so like in the situation that we're in with the coronavirus and, and us, you know, being home and stuck, there's a world out there that is, of course, seeking answers and and they are looking for, they don't have anything. So they're looking for provision. They're looking for something. And we as the church are able to use this opportunity to reach out to them. There's no other time, I think, like now when someone can realize that God is actually a provider. They can see him in that aspect. In this crisis, they can see that facet of his character where God really is Jehovah Jireh. He provides because I didn't have food on my table yesterday, but someone from my church came today and brought it for me. Yeah. Or somebody blessed me with an extra tip when they got takeout, and I didn't know how I was going to pay for gas this week. Um, but people are able to see and call out to someone and know that there's a community or family around that's able to help them get through or see who God is in this situation. And hopefully the church can be the church. And so after this situation hopefully passes soon, they'll be able to come back and be a part of that community where, where they can find that God or you know, be introduced to that Jesus that was there for them in their time of need. Come on. Amen. Isn't that so good? I love that. Thank you for sharing, Joss. I appreciate it. Thanks for being so open and vulnerable. And I remember when I went to visit you, um, it was that shock and awe moment. I remember coming up to the glass and picking up the phones and talking the whole thing and seeing you without makeup and everything, which you still looked gorgeous for the record. But I, I remember the only thing I could tell you during that time was you were telling me about how you were seeking God and the miracles that he was beginning to do in your world. And I just remember saying, you're only in here for a short amount of time. This has to spill over into your life when, you're, when you get out of here. And it's so exciting to see that you've done that. And that you, even now, and you found a fiance like Dan, who's amazing, who's going to continue to keep the flame burning. And just the family spark that's going to just continue to affect people all around you. Because of you seeing the unprecedented moment and saying, I'm not just going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm using this as a moment to dig my heels in deep and press into the things of the kingdom and go after Jesus. And you never regret that. 
Now, I'm not saying everybody, like, hey, go hold up a 7-Eleven, go to jail. That's what you need. You know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can utilize this unprecedented moment that each of us are faced with right here and right now. And you can say, God, how am I going to capitalize on this moment? What can I begin to do today so that this moment doesn't just pass me by? So that when we go back to business as usual, so to speak, or life kind of gets normalized, we won't waste what's going on. There's a girl in our ministry. Her name's Trisha Mork. She's amazing, and she's always sending me messages and encouraging things. She remembers everything we preach, but one thing she commonly hits me with is she says, he wastes no life experiences. He wastes no life experiences. Whatever is going on in your world, he will not waste it. God knows how to utilize every single circumstance so that he can get glory, so that he could reveal more of himself to you, or so that he could present opportunity to yield more of yourself to him. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to see those opportunities for what they are, you can capitalize on them and wonderful things can happen. Back to our story of Ezra once once they arrive, word gets to Ezra that the leaders of their nation have taken some of the daughters of pagan lands as their own wives. Can you imagine? You're, you're finally there. Decades have gone by, and you're finally back home. You're finally back in Jerusalem. It's in ruins, and you're like, oh, I still need to repair and fix and do all this stuff, and I'm trying to be involved. And then you find out that there's this egregious sin amongst your company. They've been mixing the set-apart seed with the pagan seed. And in other words, they've been compromising what God had called to be sacred and set apart. It says this in verse 3 of chapter 9. So when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe, and I even plucked some of my hair of my head and my beard, and I sat down astonished. Ezra's broken over the compromise of his people. His brokenness begins to attract the God-fearing people within the nation of Israel, and they all came to him, for brokenness is contagious. I believe brokenness is contagious. The people who were God-fearing saw him. I could just visualize Ezra crying out to God, and he's so distraught, and he's weeping before him. Those moments mark you. I can remember seeing a woman who used to lead worship when I, at my old church that I grew up at, and I just remember her seeing on her knees in intercession, and she was just crying out to God and crying, and I remember just seeing her pound the floor, and it was just like, bam, 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 as she just hit the floor, as she was weeping, and I was just a young guy, and she was older than I, and I saw her, and I was just, it just marked me, and she wasn't angry, but she was just like crying out to God for whatever was on her heart in that moment. But when I saw it, it like woke something on the inside of me, like a zeal that wasn't there before. And I still remember that small moment today. Brokenness is contagious. Ezra begins to pray in the midst of those people. He says this in verse 5, at the evening sacrifice, so he's been there till evening. I arose from my fastings, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. And I said, oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. There's this radical confession, ridiculous brokenness, Unbelievable honesty and unforgettable remorse. Now check this out. 
and maybe if in a moment we can maybe get Brian to come back up and put a little mood music on, which would be amazing. Check out the response of the people in this, this unprecedented moment where they see their leader, they see Ezra, and he's crying out, and he's broken, and he begins to pray. Not because he did anything wrong, but because somebody else did something wrong, and his heart broke for it. I tell the story often in here about my Theo, who was my mentor and still pours into me today on a constant basis. And I just remember going in and confessing things in his office. And he didn't say, oh, I can't believe you keep messing things up. What he would do is he would sit on the other side of his desk and he would just weep. He would cry and I would have to sit on the other side of his desk knowing that it was my sin that I was bringing up to him that broke his heart. And I hated the fact that I was breaking his heart because I wanted to make him proud. And I could just see the nation of Israel in this moment looking at Ezra and just feeling, oh gosh, we, we messed this up. Verse one of chapter 10. Now while Ezra was praying and while he was confessing and weeping and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men and women and children gathered to him from Israel. For the people wept very bitterly. They're all coming and they're taking what he was doing and how he was crying out to God and they begin to adopt that same cry. Then one of the leaders speaks up, he begins to confess his sins in the midst of this great assembly and he submits that they make a covenant before God to rid themselves of their trespasses, to repent from their wickedness and to return back to God. The people choose to gather the nation together. Here's what they do. They say, you got three days. We're going to meet back here in three days. And guess what? If you don't come, we're going to confiscate all your belongings and we're going to excommunicate you from the people. <laughs> That's crazy today. That'd be like saying, you come to church on Sunday and if you don't come, we're going to take all your stuff and we're kicking you out of the city. But that's literally what they did. Verse 9. So all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the 20th of the month, and all the people sat in the open square of the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. It would be raining in that intense moment. They're literally gathered in this open square right there at the house of God, and it's pouring down rain. Then I just see Ezra coming out, and he addresses the nation for their sin. And the people, they agree to rid their lives of the compromise. They agreed and said, we've made a mistake and we're gonna make this right. Literally, the building blocks of their nation in an unprecedented time as it's being rebuilt is founded upon repentance and honor and humility and spiritual renewal because of the spiritual leadership and because of the prayers and intercession of one man, of Ezra, within the midst of an unprecedented moment, because of him, the nation begins to turn. So what's God saying? I believe he's telling us this. I believe he's saying, learn from your history. I believe he's saying, don't make the mistake that we made back in 2011. I believe he's saying, look at the moment and look what's happening right here and right now and capitalize on the prayers and intercessions of people who are crying out for you. They're crying out for each and every one of us to encounter God during this unique season. 
I want to encourage you. This goes for everybody, and I'm talking leaders, and I'm talking just Christians everywhere, whether you're involved in the church or not. I believe the answer is still Jesus. I truly believe that whatever you're going through in your situation, if you'll bring Jesus back to the forefront of your situation, he will see you through it. I don't. I know that there's some intense, really dire needs, and I know there's some simplistic stuff that are just minor inconveniences, but I truly believe that God cares about it all. So my provocation to you tonight is that you would invite him into your situation. Jesus, real, raw, authentic encounters with the living Savior and the empowering Spirit of God within the love of the Father in this current church sanctuary which at this point is not really this room. It's the home of Christians everywhere. Your home is designed to be your sanctuary. It should be. It should be a place that you long to come to, to spend time into the presence of the Lord and to engage with him in worship and prayer with your spouse and with your kids and your grandkids and whoever you're surrounded with. You know, much of my ministry has been trying to provoke people to take the experiences and the encounters they have with God within the church building and go have those same encounters within their home. That's been so much of my ministry is can you seek God in the privacy of your own home the way that you seek him publicly within the four walls of the church? And what an unprecedented moment that we, we have almost no choice now except for the very few of us that's able to be here because we're working and doing some of these things so that we can make sure ministry goes forth to others. But what a unique moment that we're forced to be home. And that's not to sacrifice our time with God and say, I'm not gonna do it. It's rather to say, let's put our encounters with the Lord in the most important sanctuary of all, your home your own heart, your own life, your own experience, but right there in the midst of your home. You know, I'm beginning to see this happen, and, and I believe it's like a snowball effect that's only gonna gain more momentum. I'm seeing people that are texting me and telling me about how God's beginning to encounter them in their bedrooms and in their living rooms in unique ways, in the ways they never saw before. What is this? It's Romans 8:28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. I believe God knows how to take ugly situations and find a way to pull you into him. I know how God, I, I could see how God can take when you're, you're put into a jail cell and somehow he redeems the sin, redeems the problem, redeems the hurt and the disconnection and finds a way to your heart. Friends, don't miss that just like Ezra didn't miss his opportunity to see a nation come back and repent and get right before God in a radical way. He didn't miss the opportunity and I don't want you to miss it either. Would you guys pray with me as we just turn that into a declaration as we end this? Father, we truly don't wanna miss this moment. We don't wanna waste this unprecedented situation. Don't just Allow this to be a moment where we catch up on all of our DVR recordings and shows that we've missed. A little bit of that is fine. But let us capitalize on this moment and allow the intercessions of those who are praying for you to sink deep into their heart and provoke us to seek you. That the Ezra's are believing for a nation to hear what God is saying during this season and to respond in faith. So God, I thank you for raising up more Ezra's people, Christians, that would say, I'm gonna do this. 
I'm going to go after God in a unique way so that eventually when we get back to a schedule of normalcy, I will have adopted a healthy appetite of seeking God within the confines of my sanctuary. And I wouldn't miss this unprecedented moment. And I would see it as in some respect a unique gift from God so that I can have an end result much like how my sister had in her situation. We want that, God. We claim it, and we believe for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for joining us here. And those of you who joined us online, we love you. And I truly believe that if you'll take this word and you'll let it sink into your heart, your life will never be the same. God bless you. Thanks for joining us tonight.